Welcome, my friends, to the Generations Broadcast. This is Kevin Swanson. Adam McManus from theworldview.com with me on this edition of the program coming out of Super Bowl Sunday, the biggest event in any given year in the United States. Super Bowl tickets averaged $6,800 wow. towards the end. It's a lot of money. This year, Adam, it was huge. Uh, average Americans spent 86 bucks on Super Bowl celebrations. Not quite what you would spend for Easter celebration or even Valentine's Day. But uh, that's $20 billion. So this is a really, really big deal for, you know, just one event of, what, three hours of some sporting competition uh, nationally broadcasted across America. The funny thing is, I didn't even know who was playing. I don't follow any of this. And on Super Bowl Sunday, Amy and I took the three kids to McAllister Park here in San Antonio and... Uh, the four of them were on their bikes, and I wanted to to walk around, and eventually Mercy parked her bike in the car, and she walked a, a lap with me. And then we came back, and Mercy had played a Bible trivia game, something that David C. Cook had put out, and we had at a, uh, a birthday party of a friend, and we happened to pick up the same deck of cards, and we just had a blast going through these Bible questions to see who could answer them, who knew their Bible better, and we were laughing at how sometimes we were stuck on the same ones or we couldn't. But that that's how we spent our time. That, that's what we did as a family. And I think that's probably a, a better use of our time, not to mention the halftime show that is typically in the gutter. Yeah, you don't want to be watching the halftime show. I, I don't think I've ever watched the Super Bowl, to be honest with you. Uh, but it is big. Uh, two-thirds of Americans tune into it at least according to a recent uh, study that was done by the NFL. So, you know, roughly 70% of Americans are watching the Super Bowl. Of the 32 most watched broadcasts in the history of American broadcasting, uh, 30 are Super Bowls. So, you know, 30 out of the 32 most watched broadcasts in the history of American television are Super Bowls. Huge. 114 million viewers on, uh, I think it was 49 a couple of years ago. The other ones are the finale of MASH. 106 million people watched that in 1983. In 1980, Dallas' It episode, 83 million tuned into that. And then in 1993, the series finale for Cheers, 80 million tuned in. Yeah, so you didn't see much you know, of, of anything that has really captured the national attention since, I guess, the final edition of Cheers in 1993. And what is that, 20-some years ago? It's impressive. What uh, what the Super Bowl is doing for America? It's I think the uniting factor for America. One of the questions I, I you know I, I think it's interesting to consider is why football. Football is uniquely American, and I think there's something attractive to football for Americans. Americans are interested in the strategy. You know, I mean, there's quite a bit of strategy that go on between plays. And of course, Americans love to Monday morning quarterback or even Sunday afternoon quarterback. You know. What's going on <laughs> on the field, which you can't really do for soccer and not so much for baseball, but uh, football is a huge strategy sport. I think that's one reason. It's full contact sport as well. It's very dangerous. People tackle each other. It's rough. People get hurt. It's a, lot, a little bit more like the gladiators than, you know, what you would find with baseball. Baseball, you can't like tackle the the catcher. You know, you can't. You, you're not supposed to be, you know, running into the. You can slide into the catcher. Yeah, I, I guess suppose. you can. You slide into him, but you're not supposed to tackle him. So, you know, Americans like the rough and tumble, and I think that's one reason why football has become so popular uh, in America. 
uh, sports is play. So let's talk about sports. People say, well, you know, what's the worldview of sports? Sports is play. Sports is make believe. Historically, uh, nations would practice uh, some sporting events, mostly to prepare for war. It was a diversion from war. It was a preparation for war. And uh, and here's what I've always said is a positive concerning sports. It's better for nations to compete for the World Cup than it is for nations to go to a world war. You know, if you think about it, you know, yeah, if it's agreed. World Cup, you know, four <laughs> guys get injured. But if it's a world war in which nations try to exercise their pride and their position against other nations, uh, more people get hurt. I mean, a lot more people get hurt. And so, you know, if it's a metaphor and it's nations competing with each other, I think there is something of a common grace element for sports. But uh, as far as Christians are concerned, you know, I think we have to be cautious with the degree to which we uh, participate in sport. Obviously, it's great. Bodily exercise profits a little bit, and it's good to be involved in sporting activities. But uh, but there's some traps involved in sports. You know, you can you can get into it, but you can turn it into an idol, something like that. Does it, in the life of one of our listeners, possibly violate the Ten Commandments? Has sports could. become an idol? Has it yeah, become it more valuable than your relationship to God? It could, yeah. From time to time, uh, you know, we get lost in the metaphor. We've talked about how the diversions can be a problem, you know, whether it be the fantasy genre or just getting too much involved in YouTube or uh, or, or drunkenness, or you know, other forms of of escape, uh, and and sports can be that. It can be a way in which Christian men get lost in the metaphor, uh, and it's a metaphor of war. And what we want to remind people of is we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And there is a spiritual war that goes on all the time. And if there are men who are sitting in front of the television set all day long or every day, and they're not engaging in that spiritual warfare, you know, engaging in prayer, say, over the hearts and the minds of their own children, they're not at war with the bad ideas, at war with the devil, at war with sin, you know, and sports can actually pad reality and be a pretended detente and escape from the real battle of ideas. And to me, that's that's the negative. But again, it doesn't have to be a negative. Um, there, are, there are four tests as to whether or not sports is being used rightly in your life. And, and I want to go over those tests in just a moment, Adam. I put these together. I drew, drew from a couple other sources, but um, I think this is helpful to identify whether or not sports is too important for you. That's next on Generation. Stay with me. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one -on -one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains. To provide quality time for you to connect with your son, can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today.
And we're back on Generations. Kevin Swanson with you. You know, sports was always important to me. I, I was highly competitive. For one thing. <laughs> a wild guess. You know, was Kevin Swanson competitive? <laughs> well, I was. And uh, we used to play football in the rice paddies in Japan. I was raised on the mission field in Japan. We taught the Japanese uh, young men to play the American football. That's what we would call it. And then, uh, you know. Uh, in fact, that's how I broke my arm. I broke my arm playing tackle football in the rice paddies. Oh, wow. Japan, probably 12, 13 years of age. I guess those rice paddies weren't that uh, absorbing uh, of, of your I, impact. I, I got my arm stuck between two legs of this kind of heavy-duty farm boy. Oh, wow. And uh, he just snapped that thing, you know. So, anyway, that, uh, yeah, yeah, sports was fine. I, I enjoyed baseball and all of that. But, you know, and so sports is good. Sports is something that, you know, guys can excel at and uh, but there, you know, there's some indications that sports becomes too important. It becomes somewhat of a god for men, and I'm not exactly sure why, except that it is more of a pastime, a diversion. Men like to be diverted from the thing that really matters, and uh, that's no new news. But here's the first question as to whether or not sports has become too important for you: Are sports idols cheered more than God would be cheered, say, on a Sunday afternoon? And, you know, in fact, I was at a playoff game for the Colorado Rockies approaching. They almost made it in the World Series. I was in the playoff game where they were just about ready to win. And they were, I think it was the 10th inning. It was tie score. And one of the Rockies players hits a double. And all 50,000 people in the auditorium rose to cheer at the same time. And, you know, I thought, got to thinking, you know what? If, if they can do that, maybe we can do that in the church. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, it's really that actually that impressive people batting a ball. You know, God made the heavens. God made the galaxies <laughs> more impressive than the guy who hit the double in the d- bottom of the 10th. But it's because they're living vicariously through the players because they lack that sense of community and connection with the body of Christ, and so therefore their team represents, it's the pale comparison, it's the cheap prostitute instead of the lovely wife. I think that is an interesting analogy. I mean, God wants more for us. He wants us to be in relationship with him and to cheer him. Yeah, people like to win. And I think that, I I understand that. People like to win, and when your guy is the means by which the win is being accomplished, you're on your feet. You're screaming your head off. But, hey, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ won the big victory at the cross against the devil. He crushed the devil's head. He overcame death for us. That's impressive. That's really impressive. Seems to me that's something we need to cheer about every single Sunday. Are you with me? Uh, I am. and. and that leads us to the second test. Does sports displace church attendance? Just to throw a thought out, when my children got plugged into a youth soccer program, I was horrified to discover that they were scheduling some occasional Sunday games on Sunday morning. And I said, well, what? wait a minute. There should be the expectation that if there are Christians on the team, which are the majority of the people 
who live in San Antonio, Texas, identify as Christian anyway, even though church attendance, as you have indicated, has dropped off dramatically over the last two decades. Now they're supplanting, and they're not even giving us the benefit of the doubt to be able to go to church. I mean, in other words, it would be a no-brainer for us if we had to choose, are you going to attend the soccer game that we've scheduled, or are you going to go to church? Well, we're going to church. But I don't like the assumption that they're making there, that A, it's not important, or B, honoring God on on, on the Lord's Day doesn't exist. Yeah, well, what we're saying is your values will dictate your priorities in life. The things that are important to you is the things that you do. And so, yeah, there's this competition of what you do on a Sunday morning, whether you gather with God's people to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and shout the victory cry one more time in the praise and worship service, or, you know, run down to your community sports program for your kids. You know, again, it's a question of priorities. What's the thing that really gets you going in life? And I think sports becomes a God when sports becomes a higher value than worshiping God and gathering with God's people on a Sunday morning. And here's another, you know, corollary to that question. This came online, so I'm just kind of copying what somebody wrote online. Sports getting in the way of your other responsibilities in life. Uh, this guy said, Paul sees the metaphor of sports as a key image to explain Christian living because success in athletics demands purposeful self-sacrifice and requires self-discipline for a cause greater than the individual. It refers to 1 Corinthians 9, Philippians 3, 13, 14, Galatians 2, 2, Ephesians 6, 12, etc. A Christian approach to sports as a participant or a spectator involves being inspired to worship the Creator. Though witnessing the through witnessing the honed physical gifts and agonizing determination of his image bearers who compete with excellence, therefore Christians should be challenged to offer a similar purposeful sacrificial devotion and discipline in their vocation and endeavors. And I say amen to that, Me- meaning that what he's saying is that sports is a metaphor, a preparatory approach to honing your character, but for what? For the objective of serving God and serving others in other capacities. So that's what he's saying here. And I do believe there's more to life than sports. I'm sure there's some American men going, you got to be kidding me. Uh, but there is. And, you know, the Lord has us here for a purpose. We're his servants. We're to com- commission to disciple the nations and to disciple our children. And when sports gets in the way of discipling our families and doing family worship and attending church on a Sunday morning, our priorities are out of whack, Adam. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with how we're raised. My dad is six feet, eight inches tall. And the number one question he got from the moment he reached probably 6'3", is, are you going to play basketball? Or if they didn't know him personally, do you play basketball? The taller he got, the more questions along that line he received. He never did play basketball because he just wasn't very athletic. And so no doubt his life experience of never having really embraced an athletic type of endeavor probably trickle down to myself and my two younger brothers, John and Tim. Now, Tim is probably the most athletic, or at least coming up in those years when we were under their roof of the three of us. John is now doing all kinds of biking and swimming and running triathlons and things like that. But when another father who has a passion for football may have played football you know, is throwing the football to his two-year-old and then gets him plugged into the Dallas Cowboys or the Denver Broncos, whatever it might be, there's a sense of almost nostalgic connection there 
in terms of family memory, family history. Sure. And I get that. That has its place. That's a bit of a culture. Mm -hmm. But we're not castigating people who enjoy sports or cheer for their favorite team as a family. But the question is, how important is it compared to your relationship with God? And and are you ignoring church or ignoring reading your Bible so that you can do things of a sports endeavor? All right, so does sports become a god to you? Four tests, four questions. First, are sports idols cheered more than God? Number two, does sports displace church attendance and other priorities or values in your life? Number three, do you get angry when your team loses? There have been some stories lately. I think somebody almost, I think somebody got killed in a high school competition recently. I caught that on Fox News, I think, a couple of days ago. But, uh, you know, people get angry. If they're losing or the team's losing or somebody's not adjudicating the 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 case, you know, uh, in terms of uh, a foul or something that committed on the field. So, yeah, people take it too seriously. This 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 has turned into a religion for some folks. People get really upset with the referees if they feel the referee missed a call or didn't see something he should have seen. People get downright ugly. I mean, I've seen on on television where they're having to bleep out the language of the people in the in the stands. And it's not just at professional f- sporting events, Kevin. This this kind of thing can happen in the Little League. I mean, where there's 20 parents sitting on the bleachers and the baseball yeah, oh, umpire yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. isn't calling the strike like they think they should because their son happens to be the pitcher. And the final question really ties into what we just said, but is your pride wrapped up in your support? for your team or, or or is their pride wrapped up in your participation in the team and whether or not you're going to win or lose and boy that's a big test for that was a big test for kevin swanson in earlier years i'm highly competitive a lot of people didn't really want to mess with me because i was so competitive but so much of that was tied into my pride and the lord's had to humble me over the years and i do think that's that is an indication that yourself has become too important and our identity with our team is our pride our our desire to be ascendant over everybody else whether we are you know participating in the sport ourselves or as you said vicariously involved with it uh, by supporting a team self-sacrifice and self-discipline obviously are the hallmarks of athleticism and something that the bible encourages but it's really supposed to be a polaroid snapshot of what our life is supposed to look like spiritually isn't it it sure is it sure is and as long as it's the metaphor as long as it's a way in which we're training ourselves our children to prepare for the christian life and the struggle and the race that we run and the the battle that we wage in, in the real world i'm talking about the spiritual world then I think we've got a healthy involvement in the sporting activity. And, of course, it contributes somewhat to our own physical health, and that's good as well. But let us let me just end on this because this is one of my larger concerns, that is Church Attendance America was about 60% in 1900. I was reviewing some of these stats as I prepared for this program today, Adam. And now it's down to 18 to 20% on any given Sunday. So, you know, on any given Sunday, what percentage of Americans – are in their church services 18 to 20%. Of course, only about half of that is probably evangelical, maybe even a little less than that. But uh, 
18, 20% of Americans attend church on a Sunday morning, and that compares to 67% that are watching the Super Bowl. So I do believe that sports has replaced American church attendance, whether it's community sports, as you mentioned. And, you know, there was not community sports happening much on Sundays, I'm going to say 25 years ago. That all came about in the last 20 years. Now, the NFL played their games off and on Sundays, I'm going to say all the way back in the 1950s. But then they took, you know, took off of that. And and a lot of the games were played throughout the week. On September 24th, 1978, the New England Patriots defeated the Raiders in Oakland Alameda County Coliseum in a game that began 9 p.m. on a Sunday. It was the NFL's first Sunday night game. It's 1978, first game since the 1970 merger with the AFL. And uh, though no one knew it then, it was the first seed and has grown into the colossus of Sunday night football. So so really the big turnaround in America I put in 1978 where, you know, the NFL has really focused in on holding those games on Sundays. Now they do it on Thursdays as well, and there's Monday night football. and So there are other nights as well, but NFL has really come to be known as the Sunday sport. You know, I think about Eric Little, the Scottish Olympian, who was such a devout Christian, having been raised by missionary parents in Scotland, that he chose not to run his primary race that he was best suited for, the 100-yard race in Paris, France, in, I believe it was the 1920s. By the way, on that very day, attended a church in Paris, and I think might have even been asked to speak, interestingly. But he chose to run in the 200 and 400-meter races instead, not likely to do terribly well. Scotland was really disappointed. His monarch was furious. And yet God enabled him to win a gold medal for the 400-meter and then uh, bronze for the 200 meter. I mean, this is a man. And as I recall, he was not even ready for the 400 meter, but by God's grace, set a record for the 400 meter the next no. day. What's interesting is the message that was given to him on a piece of paper folded into a square by one of the team masseuses. He read it and it was a message from 1 Samuel 2.30. It said, he that honors me I will honor. And then the comment from the staffer was wishing you the best of success always. And that's exactly, Kevin, what we're calling people today to consider is honor God and he will honor you. And we don't honor God when we're going to a sporting event instead of church. We don't honor God when we place sports and and have more passion for that in a position above God. We need to have right priorities if Christ is our Savior. Well, friends, huge changes occurring in the nation over just the last 20 years. First, 1978, but the last 20 years, community sports took over Sundays, 4-H, family time, entertainment culture, the weekends for me, my time is my time. And uh, this, of course, degrades into navel-gazing, internet surfing, and mindlessly watching YouTubes on Sundays. Um, But all of these important priorities over church attendance in the minds of so many. I want to close with Isaiah 58. I just uh, preached on this on a Sunday morning, I'm going to say about three weeks ago. 
If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, which is exactly what Adam was saying, you will honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of your Lord has spoken. And I think the point here, this is what struck me as I was studying this passage. We can't define pleasure for ourselves. We, we can't define the good life for ourselves, given the fact that, well, we're not the smartest people in the universe. It should be obvious. We have finite minds here, friends, and, uh, and depraved minds. Sin has affected the mind, of, of course. And so there's this autonomy, this rebellion, this idea that somehow I'm going to decide what is the good life and what's the fun life and what's the pleasurable life, and I'm going to do that this weekend— as opposed to just saying, "Hey, let's just let's just take on God's definitions. He defines what is good, and uh, He's given to us a rest. He's given to us uh, a beautiful time to come together to worship, to celebrate." Hebrews four talks about us striving and struggling to enter into the rest. It's interesting. It's, you know, you don't ordinarily have to work to get into rest, but it seems to me that's that's part of the faith battle for us. We we got to struggle to enter into rest. It was actually a struggle to take the promised land. Think about it. The promised land was a reward. It was a rest. It was a, a place to be, but there was something of a struggle to uh, to make it to the promised land. I think something similar is being said in Hebrews 4. is a struggle to make it to church on Sunday. <laughs> you know, it's just, people tell me this all the time. They say, it's so hard. It's the hardest thing we do all week, just to get everybody dressed, get them out of the, you know, and be sure everybody's <laughs> not fighting and biting each other as we get into the van. And, you know, it's just, it seems to, to a lot of people, it's a struggle. And I agree. I think it's because there is a spiritual pushback um, from getting to what God wants us to do. Devil does not want you to glean the lessons that, you know, faithful pastors like yourself have worked hard mining throughout the week. Amen. And just to close with this, the Lord's Day is not a family day. The Lord's Day a day of convocation, first and foremost. Now, we enjoy some time with the family, absolutely. Some time of hospitality with other brothers and sisters in Christ is great, but it's a day of convocation of the people of God. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 3 also exhort one another daily when it's called today, lest any be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, etc., etc. So, uh, but the key thing is, you know, we're going to find that God's way is the better way. We're going to find God's pleasure is the better pleasure. We're going to find that God's rest is the better rest. By the way, the reason why people seek out entertainment, a big reason is that they feel it's relaxing. It's it's a way in which they can enjoy life, enjoy pleasure. But you know what? Let's try God on this one. Let's Let's submit to him on this one. Could be he's got a better definition for rest and relaxation than we do. And that's the lesson that I pull from Isaiah 58. Check it out. Meditate on it a little bit yourself. Isaiah 58, 13 to 14. And uh, friends, if you'd like a little more on sports, I've got some section on that and the tattoo Jesus. What would the real Jesus do with pop culture? A little section on sports in that uh, that little book on culture. And you might, you might pick up a copy of that at Generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Adam McManus inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.